It's interesting to me that as I was preparing for today's message, part of my prayer was that it would be the right word at the right time. So when the time switched, that wasn't a big deal. It was just like, okay, this must be the right time. So God goes ahead of us a long ways, and we just flow with that. And that's very, it's so refreshing because we don't have to carry more than we have to carry. We just, you know, we're just there. We're ready. We just do what he gives us. Okay. Um, My main, I'm going to tell you my main point, and then I'll come back to it. My main point today is that God wants you to talk to him. And he doesn't want you to talk to him just when you're in church, but he wants to talk with you. Um, If I only saw my wife Sunday mornings, that would be really good, right? I mean, I'd like to see her Sunday mornings. I like doing this together. But if that's the only time she ever talked to me, then something would be really wrong with that relationship, right? Now, we're the bride of Christ. We're the sons of the Father in heaven. Are we only going to talk to him once a week? And so today I want to encourage you, go into your room, close the door, talk to your father who is in secret. No other distractions. You're not trying to put on any appearance for any other human being. It's just one-on-one, you and God. There's no place or need for pretense. Right. And you just pour it out to him. And he hears and he rewards. His intentions for you are good. Right. Bad stuff happens, but his fundamental base level intention for you is good it is good now the whole world is telling you that it's bad but there's one who speaks with more authority than this whole world and that's the father and his intention for you is good that's right that's right Matthew chapter 6 Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Message today is the secret place. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to to be seen by men. But I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, people of God, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Don't keep on babbling like the pagans. The more words, if we use the Bible words, we use the right words, then God will listen more closely. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. I'm going to skip down to verse 16. There's lots of good stuff, but I can't say it all. So, okay, we're going to sort of jump around a little bit. Verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Oh my, we know that, don't we? Where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. The Lord just reinforced this one to me this week because I'm thinking, well, I'm not money hungry, but there's other things in this world that I am kind of hungry for. I kind of like it when people like me and say nice things to me. I'm kind of hungry for affirmation. Don't store up treasures, affirmation for yourself on earth. That can get taken away. You know, we talked in Easter time about one week they're saying, you know, hail to the king, Hosanna, and the next week it's crucifying him. That cannot be our treasure. And God does not want us to worry. He takes the whole last part of this chapter from 25 on, not worry. And I'm going to read it to you because the Father wants you to hear it. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Boy, I got my worry going good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live really long because I'm so worried about it. <laughs> and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The pagans run after all these things. Boy, we see that. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has worry, enough worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that is true, too. Why borrow tomorrow's worries? Yes. I'm not talking irresponsible, just not thinking. I'm talking about trusting in God and being in a place of trust in communion with Him, doing what He gives you to do today, and then you'll have fewer worries tomorrow. There's three things I want to highlight in this chapter. The first is the um, acts of righteousness, the almsgiving, giving alms. The second is prayer. The third is fasting. And in each one of these cases, Jesus gives a strong warning. He says, don't do it this way. Do it this way. Don't do it this way so that it can be seen by people. Okay? That's all three of those. It's, It's all religious stuff. It's all good stuff. But he's saying... The motive matters a lot. Don't do it this way. Do it this way. Not for the people who will see you, but for your Father. Okay? It's all religious stuff. And Jesus does not say, if you fast. He doesn't say, if you give. He doesn't say, if you pray. It's when. So he's expecting we're going to be doing these things, and he just wants us to clean up the, the motive part. Our goal cannot be, must not be, to impress somebody else with how spiritual we are. Think about the testimonies. I mean, we almost always, good testimonies, guys. I don't mean this in a bad way. But how often we wait till we're through the crisis before we bring the testimony. Because we want to show men, people, that we've got it all together, that God's brought us through and we're in victory again, praise God. And that's good, but why do we wait? 
Why can't we say, I'm, I'm hurting. I need brothers and sisters to gather around. I'm not trying to impress anybody. This is what I need from God, and I need you to support me in this place. So let our prayer and our almsgiving and our fasting be unto the Lord, not to impress any other person. I want to go to Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. NIV says in the shelter. So I looked it up, and it's sort of both. It's sort of a hiding place. It's like um, they can use the word for animals. It's their den. It's their safe place, their protected place. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Do you have, do you know the secret place of the Most High? Do you have a room where you can go and close the door? Talk to him? Let's listen to the blessings. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare. Boy, there's snares all around us. From the deadly pestilence, there's pestilence all around us. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Gene, do you have that picture? Gene didn't know I was talking today. Okay. Gene found a picture and gave it to me before service and said, this is for you. Um, It'll be... Well, I'll describe it because you won't see it all the way in the back anyway. It's like a dove or a bird with a little mouse under its wing. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Anyway, so we'll find our refuge under the cover of his wings. God wants you that close. You know, if you're under someone's wing or under their arm, that's kind of close to their heart, right? It's like, wouldn't it be if, you're, if I was a threat, then that would be a dangerous place to let me go, right? Right? If someone's a threat, you don't go, you know, come on in, <laughs> Thank you, Gene. So, again, I don't know. I'll just... There's a... Okay. So we can find our refuge under the cover of his wing. I know, it should be a sheep and then eagle, not a... Okay. But we didn't tell the editors that. Thank you, Gene. Choosing forward. His faithfulness, God's faithfulness, will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night. I heard gunshots last night. Nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling The Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your camp. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Verse 14. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. 
He will call upon me and I will answer him. The Lord is talking now. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him because he acknowledges my name. He will call to me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There's a secret place of the Most High. There's a one-on-one place of the Most High where we are invited to come. He doesn't want to just talk to us in the assembly, but in his secret place. We have a human nature bent towards twist, towards religiosity. And when we want to come to God, we think most often of religion. And I don't think God likes religion very much. I think God likes people I want to read a bunch of religious things and I want you to know that I'm saying when I'm calling you to draw near to God, to his secret place, I'm not saying get religious. Because scripture is full of people who got religious and missed the heart of God. Okay. So I'm going to fire through some of these. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel. Reform your ways and your actions, then I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. See, Israel thought they were under attack and they're thinking, well, God's temple is here. He won't let us fall. Because how could God let his temple fall? So they thought they could do all this other stuff and God would protect them because the temple was there. Religious peripherals religious trappings, and they thought those would be their protection. Religious trapping will not protect you. And God says, if you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, do not shed innocent blood in this place, and you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave to your fathers forever and ever. But look, you're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe to do these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. First Samuel chapter 4, verse 3. The Israelites were going into battle and they lost round one. And so they said, Ah, oh, we forgot the ark of God. And so they picked up the ark of God and carried it into the battle because it was a religious symbol and sign and even reality sometimes of God's presence with them. And they thought, if we can take God with us into our battle, we'll be okay. He'll have to give us victory because we've got the ark. But were they close to God? No. There was a reason they lost round one. And you can't pick up even the God-given peripherals of serving him, of being his people and take them into a battle that he hasn't called you to. It won't work. The ark goes into captivity. He can get it back. He did that fine without Israel's army. He can get it back. But you can't use the peripherals to try to guarantee... You can't use God's symbols to, to, to apply to your agenda and think he's going to bless it. Number 21, there was a bronze serpent that Moses lifted up. All the, the people sinned. We tend to do that. 
people sinned and God sent a plague and Moses made a bronze serpent and whoever looked at the serpent would get healed. Giving you the shorthand version. But by the time of King Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 18, it, that bronze serpent that did heal people from the poisonous snakes, it worked. But by the time of King Hezekiah, it had become an idol. And they were worshiping that. They were burning incense to this bronze thing. And God's saying, yeah, you've got the bronze, but you don't have my heart. Where are you looking? What are you doing? And they're burning incense to that peripheral thing as if it was what they needed to get well. Amos, did you know that the prophets say this stuff? You guys, there's so much in the minor prophets that it's, yes. it's in your face. Yes. Listen to this. Amos chapter 5, verse 21. This is the Lord speaking. I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, piano. But let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Amos chapter 8, two chapters over, three chapters over. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor in the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so we can sell grain and the Sabbath be ended so we can market wheat? They just can't stand the marketplace shutting down for a day to remember God. When will it end so we can get more money? Skimping the measure, boosting the price, cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything you have done. Every time I buy a cheap pair of sneakers at Target, I just wonder if it's made by some Christian brother or pastor who's been arrested in China or Vietnam or Laos or someplace, who's working in a sweatshop so I can have cheap sneakers, sell the needy for sandals. God has global vision. He doesn't care just about my having good shoes cheap. He cares about the person who made them. Will you at least think ordinary life, but think about it. Think about it. Think about it. I'll move on shortly here. Isaiah chapter 1. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? I can't believe God talks this way. I mean, aren't we supposed to come to him? But he says, who has asked this of you? Isaiah chapter 1 verse 12. This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbath, convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Lord, have mercy. Your new moon festivals, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash Make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what is right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the fatherless. Plead the case of your widow, of the widow. 
Now listen to this. This is, that is the passage that this verse comes from. Verse 18, Isaiah 1, 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Will you come? Will you reason with God? Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. His heart for us is good. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hosea 6, I'm just going to fast forward. Hosea 6, your love vanishes like the morning mist. Oh, I love him Sundays. Joel 2, rend your hearts, not your garments. A little closer to home. Psalm 50, he says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. You don't need to bring the bull. My shorthand for Psalm 50 is, skip the bull. That could be a decent motto for you when you're dealing with God. Skip the bull. (coughs) Will you be real with God, please? Matthew chapter 7, one over from our main text, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and do in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. See, what they're doing is good stuff, right? It's like they prophesied, they drove out demons. They did miracles. I've never done miracles. Wow, good stuff. In his name. Depart from me, evildoers. I never knew you. There's a sharp contrast between Mark and Matthew 6 where he says, the father, I said the Father knows and the Father sees and the Father cares. In Matthew 7 where he says, depart from me, I never knew you. What's the difference? The heart of God. Were they relationally close to God or were they doing the religious stuff thinking that God would prosper their agenda? I want to give you not just the do nots, but the do's. Okay, there's some good examples of people who just went into that secret place with God. I'm going to start with Psalm 51. This is what God wants of us. Psalm 51, verse 6. Surely you, God, desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Truth in the inner parts. Wisdom in the inmost place. That's what he's after. He doesn't want the ark called around and all of the stuff we, our, our resume for God. And then verse 10, Psalm 51, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 2 Samuel 7, verse 18. You don't have to turn there, but I want to tell you a little bit about it. Um, David wanted, King David of Israel, wanted to build the temple for God. He said, hey, it's not right. Here I am in this, God's prospered me, blessed me, and I got this wonderful palace, and I got all these wives, and things are going really good for us now. Why, how come it doesn't feel right that I'm in this beautiful palace while the ark of God is in this tent? And so he had it in his heart to build a palace, a temple for the Lord God. 
And the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to him to say basically God's word to him was, wait, 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 David, you don't build me a house. I build you a house. I build you a house. You don't build me a house. See, what? I mean, God lives in, you know, galaxies. The earth is his footstool. How are we going to make a house? You know, come on. I mean, yeah, we want to honor him, but let's recognize that it's always... Um, he's the greater one, and we our resources, even our best, to honor him? Oh, my, it's pretty small compared to, I mean, how are you going to make it big enough? We need some architects <laughs> uh, to build a big enough house for God. need to be a really good architect. You know where he does want, this is a tangent, where he does want to live? Say it louder, Pastor. <laughs> He wants to live in your heart, under his wing, close to the heart. Okay. So when God told David, I'm going to build you a house, then it says there's this little verse. It's just a little verse. It says, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I and what is my house? There's just such a sweetness to me. David's got this grand plan for the temple. And God says, wait, 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 you're not the one. But I, I bless your heart. And David goes in, David, King David, went in and sat before the Lord. Will you go in and sit before the Lord? Lay aside your grand plan. Let's go sit before the Lord. Second Kings, chapter 19. King Hezekiah, another king of Israel. You guys, the more you know this stuff, the less I have to tell you the whole story, okay? So, <laughs> king Hezekiah was one of the later kings of Israel. Uh, Judah, and I think Judah. Anyway, they're getting attacked. They're always getting attacked because they always sin, and so God sends judgment. Anyway, so they're getting attacked, and this Sennacherib is the enemy general, and he sends a letter to King Hezekiah, and he says, who do you think you are? We've taken out this king, this king, this king, and that king, and how do you think you're going to escape? We're coming for you next, and your day is over, King Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, has his army isn't big enough to stop this. He's got no resources that will meet this threat. So what does he do? 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter the messengers, from the messengers and read it. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over the kingdoms of the earth. You've made the heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. Have you taken something, a threat that comes at you, and you just take it in to God? And you sit down and you say, look what they're saying. Look, they're coming for me. What can I do? But God, hear, see. Look, God. I can't meet this threat. There's a quiet place, a secret place, a refuge, a shelter in the Most High where you and I can go when the threats come. We can spread out that letter to the Lord. Open it up and say, Here, God. Maybe it's a pink slip. I don't know. Maybe it's a report card. I don't know. Maybe it's a summons from your boss. First Kings 19, Elijah has been a big time, um, I'll say it, butt kicker. 
He's been a big time butt kicker against the prophets of Baal, killed 400 of them, a great victory. God spoke from heaven. But then the queen is really mad because he took out her priest corps. And so she says, I'm going to kill you, boy, and you better run. So Elijah runs for the wilderness, and he can't make it all the way, and God meets him and gives him some food, and he carries him 40 days with the strength of that food. And finally, he gets to a cave on Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, and he goes into the cave, and he hides, and he rests. There's a quiet place, a shelter place, far from the reach of a homicidal maniac. And he goes into the cave, and the angel of the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> he was in full-fledged panic mode. Run for your life. And he finally found a place where he could stop for a minute. And that, when he stopped, be still. And the Lord said, okay, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord. I've been doing your stuff, God. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. I, think, I hope you know the story. It's really good. I don't want to read the whole thing to you. There's an earthquake, and there's a fire, and there's a wind. And none of that is the Lord. All of the grandeur is not yet the voice of the Lord. And then comes a gentle whisper. The old Revised Standard says, a still, small voice, a quiet voice, into our quiet place. And when he heard the voice, the voice, he wrapped his face up in his mantle and went out and stood, and the Lord passed by and gave him the words that he needed for the next phase of his journey. One more. Two more, sorry. One more first. Micah 6. This is my gospel verse. Micah 6, 6 to 8. Yeah. With what shall I come before the Lord? What are we going to bring? What resume? How and With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come with burnt offerings? What have you given up for God? Are you going to impress him with that? With calves a year old, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Verse 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly? To love mercy? To walk humbly with your God? Um, we kind of struggle even with the mercy piece, right? You know, someone cuts me off in traffic. Boy, I want someone to cut them off. And I hope they do it really scary, too. We're, we're just not merciful by nature. Can we learn to grow, act justly, love mercy? Even if we don't get there yet, will we... When you know, I do, I do the whole thing. I get mad, and then I think, oh God, I shouldn't get mad. But then, then I say, God, help me to love mercy. I don't love mercy. I want justice when it's on someone else. I want mercy when it's on me. <laughs> help me to love mercy. Help me to walk humbly with my God. Walk humbly with your God. See the fellowship pieces there again. It's do a good resume for the Lord. Walk humbly with your God. Okay, one more. Matthew 22. You've got to know this one. 
hearing that Jesus, Matthew 22, 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. And then other versions say, in all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. What is the thing that God wants? What is the greatest commandment? Love. I mean, we hear it, but we don't do it. We want to impress him instead of just loving him. But it's not, it's not just a, um, how can I say this? Our view of love is so skewed too, and that's why it says with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. There's a whole life engagement in loving God. Does that make sense to you? How, just for instance, how would I love the Lord with my strength? You know, I, I love the Lord with my piano and with my worship and with my study. I don't always show up for, just for instance, the workday at church. Um, but some of the life groups do a lot of making a meal for someone when they're sick or something like that. You know, of visiting somebody, using our strength, our health, using our physical bodies, putting them where they're needed to do a task, loving the Lord with our strength. I just want to spread, it's not just the emotion, the feeling, love God. And then love your neighbor, because God says over and over, if you don't get the neighbor part right, how do you think that you can tell me you're loving me? Because he's in my friend, and if I'm against... Have you ever been friends with a married couple that's feuding? And it's almost like you can't be close to either because the other will think that you're on their side, and it's like, I mean, even pastorally, it's like, oh, just let me befriend you. And God, it's like, anyway, so God, if we're feuding, you know, and God comes in and says, wait a minute, I just, I don't want you feuding. I want to love both of you. I'm not going to love love one and hate the other. I'm not going to love the other and hate you. But we are so given to taking sides. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. If you just get the love part right, we'll be okay. Um, okay, I'm going to sum it up. Why this message today? Um, because our nature is to drift. We always, how many times this week I had two or three people tell me, what did I do wrong? Things started to go wrong in their life and their first thought was, have I sinned? What did I do wrong? Why is the bad stuff happening? They sort of thought that because they'd done everything right, that everything would go right for them. And it's not necessarily so. So we think that the peripherals are the sign of the internal reality. And we all tend to think that. Or when we sin, then we don't want to come clear to, close to God, right? Because he'll see and he'll talk to me about that and I don't want to talk about that because he'll make me repent and I don't want to repent. I want to keep doing it. We drift so easy, God have mercy. But there's a secret place, a shelter in the Most High, close to his heart, under his wing.
God wants um, you and he wants your heart. Not just your activity, not your resume. God wants, we overuse the word, God wants relationship. He wants a bond. Can I say it that way? He wants a bond with you. God wants a bond with you. Yes. Keep it simple, not a bunch of fancy words. Keep it real, not a bunch of peripherals. Come into the secret place of the Most High. Close the door. Sit down. Pray to your Father who is unseen. He knows what you need. He will reward you. Jesus said, I'm going to I'm going to ask the worshiping to come up, and if you could play quietly. I'm gonna, I know it's a hard song to play quiet, but I need it to start quiet. We're going to sing in the quiet, in the secret, in the quiet place. God says to the church in Revelation 3, we always think this is for unbelievers, but God says to the church, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Do you hear his voice knocking? You hear him knocking at the door of your heart. See, he wants to come in, not just to the congregation as a whole, but into, if anyone hears my, hears my voice, if anyone opens the door. Do you hear him knocking? There's a secret place near the heart of God. There's a place set at his table, banqueting table. It's got your name on that place. The china's all there. The food is set. Your name is at that place. It's reserved for you. You don't have to come. going to make you. Oh God, don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's for you. He wants to come in. He wants to come. He wants to give you that bond. He wants to let you have a secret place in your heart and there's a secret place in his heart with your name on it. He wants to come in and he wants to fellowship, eat with you. He doesn't say he'll come in and I'll read your resume and see if you qualify. He just wants to come in and fellowship with you and eat with you. 
leave the resume. Just come. You hear him knocking? Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. There's a secret place in your heart which is reserved for God. And it's empty and dead until he comes to live there. There's a secret place in the heart of God with your name on it. These should be together. Lord God, in this time, in this place, in every heart in this room, I know that you have a secret place in mind. God, I sometimes wish you would make us come. I wish you would just unlock the doors and come in, but you wait for us. Sometimes we're too scared or something to do it. God of mercy, help us to hear your knock. God of mercy, help us to hear your voice. Help us reach out, take the latch of our heart and open to you so that the King of glory can come in and eat with me and with you. Come by your spirit, mighty God, right now. Search our hearts, search our spirits, search our minds and our souls. Come in by your grace with the life-giving presence of your Holy Spirit. We may receive life, which we have no other place to go. You are our place of refuge. You are our secret place, the secret place of the Most High. Help us, God, to keep it simple. Help us to real. Help us to keep it loving. We're going to sing and then after we've sung, then I'm going to invite anyone who wants to to come forward and we'll pray. I'd like Tom and Kathy, can you stand up a second, just a second so they can sing. If you want help opening that door, Tom and Kathy are really good at that. I can pray with you also. This could be your day. Let's stand and sing together. Or you can meet the Father in secret. Don't miss your chance to make it right with him. We're going to keep worshiping.